and I've talked to so many people, right, who will say like, oh, music licensing so hard. It's impossible. It's a lottery. It's a game of chance, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like you go to Sync Songwriter on our website and go under testimonials. It's not just a bunch of people saying we love your course. There's actual real results. There's a bunch of videos of real students getting real sync results over and over and over again. It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm gonna share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're gonna show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. So I'm here today with uh, Chris Estee, a friend of mine, and he runs a business called Sync Songwriter that helps artists to get their music, to get it licensed to TV, film, video games, small businesses. And Chris is amazing. He's uh, an award-winning music producer. He was Engineer of the Year in 2012. He's helped record five Juno award-winning albums. And Juno Awards are basically Grammys uh, for Canadians. And um, so he's a total, total badass in terms of the production. And he's been licensed on ABC, NBC, Fox, Hulu, more than I could count. We could spend the next hour just talking about um, all the different placements you've gotten. But I think it's going to be really valuable talking with him to kind of help you if you feel like you're at the point where your music is ready to be licensed to TV, film, and some of these other placements, then he has a, a pretty amazing five-step system to allow you to do that. So Chris, thanks so much for taking the time to be here today. Hey, Mike, thanks so much. And, uh, you know, like I may have said this before, but like you can be my agent anytime. Uh, whenever I'm feeling bad, I'll just keep you on the speed dial and I can just dial you up and you can tell me how awesome I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, dude, what's great is like, this is recorded right now. So we can just take a clip of this interview and just, you know, you wake up in the morning. It can be your alarm clock. <laughs> <laughs> my alarm clock every morning. Yeah, yeah. And then like affirmations when you go to sleep. So you can just have it playing on repeat just over and over and over again. I like it. I like it. At this point, you know, we've had, we've had multiple conversations. Um, we actually went on a mastermind together on your sailboat so we like went uh to catalina and it was incredible so you know we we know each other really well but could you give like a quick introduction of who you are and kind of how you got started on this this path of uh music licensing yeah of course of course um so essentially you know when i was a music producer in in canada and i was uh having success you know i was working with some bigger artists in canada and uh and then i was also working with indie artists at the same time you know, I had both going on at the same time. And when the indie artists would come into the studio, you know, it was always a question of like budget and time and, you know, how, how are we going to make a great record with a, a little amount of money and, and all of that. The big stars would come in and they'd have like all this cash and managers and agents and everything like that. And the indie artists were always like struggling to make the ends meet. It was, a you know, one of these fancy big studios with knee boards and U47s, U67s, lots of fancy gear. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that struck me was like, we would work on a record, you know, we'd work really hard on a record and really try to make it happen within a shorter period of time, put in a lot of hours, I'd throw in free hours, because I really uh, have a, you know, real care and, and, and a heart um, for indie songwriters and indie musicians, because so much of the music that gets made starts out with people, at least when they write their songs as indies, you know, even the big stars, when they wrote a lot of their hits, 
they were like scraping things together, you know? Mm -hmm. So I always have like a, 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 you know, I've always supported indie music that way. So, but bottom line is we'd put our blood, sweat and tears into a record and then the album would go out into the ether and nothing would happen right? Because they didn't have the booking agents. They didn't have the, the publicists. They didn't have the, they may not have a record deal, of course, if they're indie. They didn't have all these other things that the stars had. And so these records would just sort of, some of them would percolate up and, and do okay. And there were a few that did well, but there's a bunch of other ones that sort of just got lost. You know, they never really happened. And I started thinking, well, how are indie musicians going to make money? Like, how is that going to happen for them? How can they get more exposure without having all of these people working for them. And that was when music licensing was first starting to become something, right? It was the first time where it wasn't uncool to have your song on like a cool show or something like that. Before, you know, in the 90s, right? Sort of like, probably like before the late 90s, it was not what you did. That was kind of selling out. You, you just didn't, you know, sync your music generally, especially to ads and things like that. Well, you know, if it's the right thing right if it's something that you would buy or if it's something that a show that you would watch or you think is really cool why wouldn't you want to have your music in it right so the mm -hmm. advantages of this is of course you get paid up front a sync fee usually it's big okay if you get into a top network show you're into the five ten twenty thousand dollars and if it's a really big um like a finale or something you're going you know into 20s 30s i got an artist thirty thousand dollars for one placement so that just goes to show that the cash is amazing for indie musicians. And then there's the uh, back-end royalties. So once you get into a show and you're, you know, it get, gets re-aired every single time, you get these back-end royalties coming in, which is you know, an incredible thing. Every month, right, you're, you're checking out your, your bank account. You have multiple streams usually by then. You've got a few syncs going on at the same time. You've got different royalty streams coming in. So amazing. How much work did you do to make that? Well, not much more than making your music. So the trick is how you do that, right? So when I discovered all this, uh, how I got into it was literally, you know, when I started, got, got, got into doing this, it was like connecting with the music supervisors and figuring out how all of this fit together. I had no idea. So this is something that really started to uh, percolate while I was in the studio helping these indie musicians. And I had had a little bit of experience before when I was like a broke, uh, you know, indie engineer with my home studio, recording my buddies for beer. You know, I got a, a someone a sync in a movie called Crime Spree. And that was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like, really? This is how easy it is and you can get all this money. And so that's where it started. It started to build over time. And then, you know, in, in up in Toronto, I got to know a lot more people there. And then as it went on and I moved to LA, again, I just expanded my network of music supervisors. Those are the people who get your music into TV and film. So I just essentially started showing people how to do it. I used to do it in the studio one-on-one -on -one with bands just to help them. And then I, uh, just a few years ago, I decided to start Sync Songwriter and scale it. And I've been showing uh, indie musicians and songwriters and producers how to get their music into TV and film and the success stories are amazing. So it's been really, really, really like not only heartwarming, but like, you know, awesome for the, for the company to say, Hey, check out how, how much success you can get 
by just being an indie songwriter living anywhere. You don't have to live in LA. You don't have to live in New York or Paris or Berlin or wherever your center is, wherever you live. You can do this from anywhere. So that's, that's the, the nutshell. So, mm, Dude, amazing. So it sounds like what you're saying is that for you, like licensing kind of came into the picture for, for a lot of musicians. And I hear this all the time too, because you know, it's just the state of things is that it can be really challenging to make an income as a musician, especially an independent artist who you're just getting started out. And it sounds like what you're saying is that licensing can be an amazing you know, stream of income that doesn't necessarily require a lot of additional investment because you know, you've already recorded the songs anyways. So now you're sitting on this, you know, essentially this, um, this diamond inside of you, they might not even realize that you had this opportunity. It's just a matter of, of taking those songs and getting them placed onto the, onto the shows. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I'm on a sailboat right now, right? I'm sitting on a sailboat and I'm in a marina and uh, we take our sailboat out when we sail with it. So when we're on the boat, it's not as nice as living in an apartment even, right? So there's some compromises that you have to make in a sailboat. It's a big sailboat. I like it. You know, it's got the deck and I can go in the cockpit and all this other stuff. Take my dinghy over to Trader Joe's and shop. That's fun, right? But really when it comes down to the lifestyle, the boat really shines when it's out. When you go to Catalina, like when we sail to Catalina, when we actually take it somewhere, we're going to go to Mexico and Hawaii with it and the Pacific Northwest and all this other stuff. That's where it starts to shine. I already own the boat. So by the boat sitting in a marina, it's like your songs sitting, not doing anything, right? You might put it up on SoundCloud. You might put it up in social. You might do a few things with it. You know, friends and family, I got a few fans and then it just sort of fades away. You got to record something new, right? You put all this effort into it. So you already own the songs. The songwriting is even from a production point of view is like probably 85% of the way there, right? If you listen to, let's use a really old, easy to understand archetype. You listen to um, uh, Strawberry Fields, let's say, right? So if you listen to on the, the demo, right? You listen on the demo version that they put out. I can't remember when they put that out, the box set that they had. It's a nice song, right? It's a nice song. If somebody played that for you and you, could remove the part of your brain that knows that song and why it's famous, you would think that's a really nice song. You know, somebody played it around a campfire. But when you hear it with everything in, 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 the, in the mix, the production seems to be the most important part, right? Suddenly it, it blossoms and it's this amazing song with all the production. Mm. That production would not be able to hang itself off the branches, like the, those, that's the fruit hanging off the branches of the tree, if it wasn't for the great song. So th- it is so important to have a great song and then the production enhances and amplifies it. And sometimes it seems like it has a bigger effect on it, but it's having that asset. Your songs are worth more than a lot of people's cars, potentially, but you have to use it. You have to know what to do with it. Just like the boat sitting in a marina, there's a ton of boats in here that don't go anywhere. People just come mm-hmm. down and they hang out and they have their lunch on it and show their friends, but they, they never enjoy the boat for what it's meant for. Just like your songs. If you can take your songs and do a, a, a trip plan, learn how to sail your songs, you know, learn how to do something with them, the world opens up for you. You're going to go to these amazing places with your songs and that is the biggest reason I got into music production was to take those great songs and make them viable in the world, you know, and then licensing is that 
on like, I want to say on steroids, but it's like way beyond that. So, you know, that's the next step essentially. Mm. Dude, I love that, uh, that analogy that, that you're using with the sailboat, because I know like, you know, your sailboat and the way that you travel and the freedom that it gives you means so much to you. And it's just a huge part of who, of, of who you are is that freedom. And it sounds like what you're saying is that the same freedom exists for, for musicians when you get really good at licensing your music is that you have this freedom to, I mean, for a lot of artists, um, they're working a daytime job or they're working, they're spending a lot of their time focused on what they're not really passionate about their music because they don't really know how to pay the bills. And so this is something that doesn't require necessarily like a lot of extra investment or time after you already have the songs that are just kind of sitting in the, the marina, not sailing and that it's, you know, can provide a lot of freedom. So that's awesome. So my next question is, you know, when you, when you first start working with musicians, I know you work with a ton of different artists to help them do this. What have you noticed has been like some of the most common challenges or the, the biggest uh, problems that they run into when they first get started? Sure. Uh, so, so the biggest one I, I think is that a lot of musicians think that music licensing is run by these people who are living these ivory towers um, in nondescript, you know, with no windows in the rooms in these nondescript places. And there's no way to connect with them. There's no way to get your music out there. So they think mm -hmm. that, well, I got to get into a library or I've got to get a label deal or a publishing deal to find my way into TV and film. And that mm -hmm. couldn't be further from the truth. And the interesting thing about that is because most musicians think that way, when you actually figure out how to do it, you're competing against a very small group of people, right? In, mm -hmm. in when you're connecting and, and doing this, because 95% of the people doing it are doing it wrong. So yeah, lots of people are sending music to music supervisors. Lots of people are trying to get into libraries. The, the market is saturated, quote unquote. But the people who are doing it right are the ones who get the sinks over and over and over again. So, uh, you know, one of the big ones is how do you earn a music supervisor's trust? That's the very first step is that if you're going to get somebody to listen to your music and you're one of a thousand songs that came in that week, what's going to make them open your email, listen to your music and, and essentially earn the trust because they don't really want to, um, they don't trust you. So while I was figuring out, you know, musicians and like indie, how they were going to get syncs with music supervisors and slowly started to, to break down, like, what are all of the things that have worked for me in the past? How did I, how was I able to get those syncs for people? I realized that it came down to five steps for me, right? You've heard this before. People say, oh, I've got to, you know, I use three steps, four steps, 10 steps, whatever. I wish I could take one away. It's five. It came down to five distinct things that you have to know. So the first one is targeting. Targeting means you have to send music supervisors what they want when they're looking for it. If you use a shotgun approach and just send your music out there, they're not going to appreciate it because they're working on, you know, say they're working on three different shows. Every day, they're looking for a specific song for a specific scene. So what happens when you send them, you know, they're looking for like summer fun pop and you send them hip hop or country, right? You're not doing them any favors because they're basically like, they're wasting my time. You don't happen to know what they're looking for. That's the problem. So you need to find a way to do that. And I teach people how to, how to figure that out and how to know. And you need to also send it to the when they're looking for it, not too early and not too late. So the first step is targeting. 
Once you have the targeting down, then the next thing is writing. Writing means that you either write, you know, in a way that's going to work for sync, but even better, you just know how to pick the songs that you know how, how are going to work in sync. So it doesn't literally mean you have to write for sync at all. In fact, most music supervisors will tell you that they prefer artists write from the heart. They prefer artists write what comes out of them naturally because it's most authentic and it's mm -hmm. better to find opportunities where your music fits to than grabbing opportunities and fitting your music to it. Now, there are some very successful people who write for sync. Don't get me wrong. I'm actually about to interview uh, a pair uh, called Money Cat later today. In fact, for my community, they're extremely successful couple from Ohio. He was doing like classic hip hop. She was doing like, she wanted to be a spice girl. She jokes and they got together and did this total weird amalgamation thing, ended up getting some syncs. And now they have Disney calling them like every second day, say, we need this, we need that. All, all these people, like they're super, super successful in sync. They write for sync. So you can absolutely do it. But if you're an artist and you have fans just picking your songs for in the writing stage is really what it's about. There are things that work in sync and things that do not work in sync as well. That's important to know. The second is production. You have to produce your songs. Everything, everything that gets into TV and film is, is at a certain level. Your stuff has to sound as good as everything getting into TV and film. Super important. So the production is very, very critical. And there's certain things that work and certain things that don't. For example, certain vocal uh, treatments don't work well in sync because they interfere with the dialogue. Horns could be problematic. There's all these other little things that you need to know about the production. And then another, the next one is vetting. And vetting was one I tried to leave out. I tried to like, I want it to be four-step program. You know, I could just do this, 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 and then pitching, right? But vetting is like taking your friend to try on some clothes, right? Or someone you trust, whatever. And you know, you think that your clothes look good on you. You're not sure. It's great to have that validation. We don't uh, sometimes, or you have a problem. That's a better example. You've got a problem and you, it seems huge, monumental. You ask someone else and they're like geniuses, right? You ask your friends and they're like, they, they tell you exactly what the problem is and how to fix it. And you're like, how come they're so smart and I'm so stupid, right? Well, we're all in that. Most of us, maybe you're not, but I am. And most people I know are. We're all in this thing together, right? We're all in this weird, weird thing. Another weird example is like, you know, the guy-girl thing, right? If you're heterosexual, this is, you'll, you'll understand this, this part is like, the guy's like, I don't understand why the girl's acting that way. And the guy's girlfriend, the friend who's a girl is saying, duh, she's doing this, man, because she likes you or she doesn't like you. Guys, the right. same thing, right? Girls are like, I don't understand why the guys and the guy can immediately say, look, this guy's playing you or, or no, he's, he's acting this way because of this or whatever. Cause we mm -hmm. guys understand guys, girls understand girls, but it's just this disconnect between the sexes. Right. And it's the same thing in music. When you write your songs, you know, the backstory to your music, you were there when you wrote it, you know who it's about. So when you hear your song back and when you write it, you fill in all the gaps in your head yourself. You're filling it mm -hmm. in, the storyline. Other people don't know that. So you, as a songwriter, or as a composer, or instrumentalist, or whatever, you have to be great at translating. You have Part of your mm -hmm. job is to translate what you're trying to say to the listener who's never heard it before. 
So that's so critical. And the way to get that is vetting. Now, I didn't invent vetting. I just borrowed it from like movie studios, do it all the time with focus groups, surveys. People send surveys out all the time to figure out if a product's going to work. There's all kinds of, um, you know, people just go and reach out and ask the market, what do you guys want? I literally took that, shoehorned it into this, works like a freaking charm. It's awesome. And then last but not least is pitching. Now, in order to pitch properly, you have to sound like these people sound. You have to know what they know. You have to use the same lingo, approach, approach the music supervisors in the same way. You have to develop relationships with them in the same way over time. Now, somebody might say, well, Chris, uh, then it's all about who you know. It is not about who you know. It's about following these five steps so you look like a pro because a new label that comes along and starts to pitch to the music supervisors, the supervisors don't know who they are. They just know how to pitch to them. They're just like, hey, we're a new label. Don't know you, but uh, we saw this opportunity. They know how to pitch. Music supervisor goes, hmm, okay, you're going to be on my, my good list, right? They're going to put a little check mark beside them, and they'll be on the go-to list. You want to be able to relate to them and talk to them that way. Another question might be like, well, I mean, there's so many musicians and all trying to get their music into TV and film. Well, the example I like to use is like, think about, uh, you know, what are your odds of going to the moon, right? So there's seven and a half billion people on earth right now, right around there. And so you could say, my odds are about one in seven and a half billion. And so if you're a farmer in Nebraska, then maybe you're right, you know? That, that very well could be. You live on maybe a, an island somewhere in a village in, in um, French Polynesia. Uh, that could be about that, right? Well, what if you're an astronaut that got trained by NASA? What are your odds now of going to the moon? Way different. So that's what it's all about. It's about competing with a lower level, of, a lower group of people in, and being at the top so that they trust you. It's a whole different scenario up there, and that's why you see indie musicians getting success over and over and over again. It's not magic. They're doing, you know, either they're students of mine who follow this, or they're doing some version of what I just described to you. But that is how it happens. And uh, so that's, anyway, that's the nutshell, Mike, about sort of like earning the trust of music supervisors and getting your music into TV and film, you know, in a rudimentary way within a short interview here. <laughs> so... Hey, it's Jared here, co-producer of the Modern Musician Podcast. Thanks once again for tuning in to this episode. If you're listening to this right when it comes out, we have something really exciting to announce. We've just launched Music Mentor. If you're looking for mentorship and advice from industry experts, then Music Mentor is going to be so valuable for you. It's a community, a community of mentors, driven musicians, and all the tools and resources you need to take your career to the next level. So take advantage of this. Go to the link in the show notes and see what it's all about. Now back to the podcast. So just to kind of recap, it sounds like what you're saying, and this makes a lot of sense just in terms of the way that relationships work in general and the way that we connect with other people. It sounds like the people that they've, they've built these mechanisms, they've built these triggers where just it's, it, as humans, we do a lot of things subconsciously, like we, and we develop trust subconsciously over time. And so, after a certain point, 
it becomes easier to kind of to lean back and let like you have to just kind of go with the flow. And so a lot of these music supervisors going with the flow means, you know, kind of having these conversations that they've had over and over again with these different, you know, experts that kind of provide the music to them. And so if you learn how they like to be spoken to and you can kind of slip in, you can be professional, then you can trigger the exact same kind of thing. So it's just subconsciously like they just they understand what you're saying and, and they and they go with you. And it kind of reminds me of uh, this analogy of of the way that our brains work in terms of they're like synapses, right? Like what you just described with, sorry, I'm going to like geek out here for a little bit because I, I think <laughs> this is interesting. But um, it's kind of like synapses in, in your brain, how they trigger at a certain point. So it's like the electrical, it goes, and like the light, it's kind of like lightning in a sense. And the way that our brains work is that if we think the same thoughts over and over again, it's sort of like going down a hill of like going sledding. And the more you go down the hill, the more it kind of drives this groove in the path. And so you kind of keep going down. Um, if you think the same thoughts, you can really kind of dig yourself into these, these grooves. And so it sounds like what you're saying in, in part is with that analogy, that it's kind of like these super music supervisors, they have these grooves that they've already kind of, that they've created. And so in order to most effectively deliver your songs to them, it's good to kind of figure out where are those grooves? How are they, how are they created? So you can kind of slide down and, and connect with them best. Yeah, that's a that's a great analogy. In fact, yeah, I mean, I think we're all this. We're all very um, well. There's this thing, just to geek out a little further. We have this uh, thing in, within us called called automation, right, in our biology. So that once your body gets used to doing something repetitively, you don't have to actually think about it. You can do it. That's how we do these uh, absent-minded things, right? Where we set something down and we forget where we put it. It's because we were in automation mode. We weren't actually we weren't present when we were doing that, and that's for good reason because you can multitask. You know, you can be thinking about something else. You know, like the rubbing the belly and patting the head type of thing. Your body can automate certain things, your behaviors, and so on. So you're right, and we do that for efficiency, right? So it's efficient. The body chooses the most efficient way to get through life, and part of that's automation. The same with music supervisors. They're getting hit and hit and hit. With with uh, with you know indie musicians and so on, so at some point they have to figure out what those grooves are, what those habits are, and as long as you fit into that that area and they mark you down on their go-to list and they're not funneling your emails in a junk folder, then you're absolutely right. So that's that that is a huge part of it. The most important part, though, you know, ultimately, is it's like being politely persistent, right? Or a squeaky wheel, but but one that isn't squeaky all the time, and there's a delicate sort of balance with that. And we've all we all inherently know that, right? It's not like going to job interview after job interview after job interview. It's it should never feel like that. It should never feel like as impersonal as that. It's not like there's this mathematical structure or that you know um, when I show people how to do this, it's not like you know. Do it this way, this way, this way, this way. I also try to bring out people's personalities, right? And, and how you approach certain things. So the things that have happened to you in life, right? It, a lot of it comes down to how you yourself did it and how people appreciated you for you. I don't know if, you, if that makes sense, but it's like not what you're saying all the time. It's how you're saying what you're saying. You know, I sort of look at it as like um, some musicians can write love songs that have simple words in them, right? You can say the three words we all know so well, I love you, right? We say it to our 
parents and siblings and children and significant others. We say the, those three words over and over again. And, but we don't always say them, of course, right? They're such important words. Now, it's not about what you're saying in that, at that point, right? Sure, you can say, you know, I love you to somebody and it means something completely different than I love you to someone else. And so it's how you say what you say. And that's such a big part of connecting with music supervisors is it's who you are, what your personality is, and how that shines through in how you deal with them. Now, it's no different than anything else in life. The only difference is you're generally starting it out in emails. And the first sync is the hardest. But once you start getting in there, it gets easier and easier and easier. But always think about how you're saying what you're saying and not specifically what you're saying. Of course, there's very important things that you have to say. And I show people through email templates and, and when to follow up and all the stuff that's really important, what to put in the email, what not to put in. But it's how you say it individually that's going to get you the gig in terms of getting it opened and listened to. And mm -hmm. uh, the last thing on that is a lot of people that don't hear back, music supervisors don't typically ever respond or give feedback to anything. They're way too busy. It's the norm not to hear back. So a lot of people and students I've had later found out through the music supervisor was like, oh yeah, we almost used the, these four of your songs separately last year. They were up actually at the actual um, spotting session when we were in there with the director and the producer and we were trying your music out and that one didn't make the cut that time and that one didn't make the cut that time. But just to have your music in a spotting session is amazing. It means you're that mm -hmm. close to uh, getting getting uh, placed, right? And it's just a matter of time. Awesome. So it sounds like what you're saying is that when it comes to like pitching your music to supervisors, it's probably also comes into play a lot when it comes to like writing your music. Cause you talked about how uh, music supervisors, they usually they prefer to have a song that speaks from the heart, that feels authentic, that's real. And what you're talking about is is so important in terms of you know, your music as a whole and the, the way that you write songs, like it expresses who you are and it's more important that it's, that it's honest and that's real and that you, that comes through in your communication as well. There are things that, you know, are good rules of thumbs and good things like don't say this, don't say this. And you, know, you provide those, you kind of give people a template, but ultimately things would get really, really boring if everyone said the exact same thing, the exact same time. Like it would just, you know, like it's, it, it wouldn't work because it would just come across like a cookie cutter type of thing. And so ultimately it's good to have guidelines. It's good to have mentorship to show you, you know, what to say and what not to say. But ultimately it's also comes across with how you say it and that, the, that you're being congruent and that you're being authentic with yourself. Absolutely. Yep. You nailed it. Let's wrap things up here pretty pretty soon because this this is awesome and uh, we're coming up to that to the end of the interview. But so specifically, when you talked about that step uh, step four vetting, what exactly does that does that mean, and and how would you recommend that someone goes about getting their songs vetted? So essentially, vetting means that you know, as I was describing earlier, it's really about getting other people's opinions on your music. So you need to have a little bit of a thick skin with that and to figure out how that's going to work, but. Essentially, what it, does, what it comes down to is that when you're vetting your music, you're not asking people if they, if they like your song. That's not the point. You're trying to find out where your music fits, like what opportunities it's going to be good for. So you're going to want to find out, you know, who you sound like, for example. You know, that's a great mm -hmm. question. Who do I remind you of, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of a production? There's a number of questions, important questions that I, that I, 
teach people to, to, to get a data set to figure something out about their music. And another one would be like uh, production, you know, like uh, focusing on uh, what is it about the song that stands out most to you? Because some productions like a lot of percussion, some productions focus on vocals, some productions focus on different elements, right? So there's specific questions in that you're going to ask your listening group. You're going to set up your own listening group and ask them those particular questions. And you're going to get these things that sound amazing just for fun. I actually did it one time in, in one of my classes. I just threw in one of my songs and uh, I got all of this, this feedback from people who, who nailed one particular thing about my song that I had never even considered. And it was huge. It was like, I mean, even if you feel a little bit offended by it because, you know, artistic sensibility, it's medicine, man. It's like you just get it and you fix it or if you want, if you want to. Now, you never take the outlier opinions. You have to look for the pattern within your group. So your group has to be big enough where you can do that. So vetting is extremely powerful to hone your, the tip of your arrow to hit the bullseye in sync. Mm, awesome. So it sounds like what, what you're saying is with vetting, it's a lot about uh, the group that you bring together and having a big enough group that you're not looking at necessarily the outliers or the feedback that you're getting, but you're looking at what are the patterns? What are the things that are coming up multiple times in terms of what are some artists that you remind them of and what are different production elements? And specifically, it sounds like you have a framework of different questions that, that work really well to ask, to ask people. Totally, because the, the questions lead you down to what the thing that you need to know is, right? And the thing about putting your group together, you don't want to have your mom or your, you know, your significant other who loves everything that you do. Uh, you need people who are <laughs> right. going to give you like honest opinions. So that's mm -hmm. very important that you have, have your group, not just full of musicians, but also listeners and uh, a, a varied group of people. So that's mm -hmm. an important, important element. Dig it. Dude, I've been waiting to use this analogy for a while. It's been like floating in the back of my brain, but I feel like one analogy that kind of describes the process of what you're talking about, about sharpening the edge and honing it. It's also you know, how you can think about niching down when it comes to like businesses or your brand and, and, you know, getting that fine edge that helps you cut through is that it really is like taking that arrow and just sharpening it and sharpening it because when you pull it back and you let go, it's got to pierce through this pretty thick skin of, you know, this threshold of being able to cut through people's attention because right now, you know, there's so many things vying for our attention that not a lot cuts through. So it sounds like what you're saying is part of that ability to vet is about really refining and figuring out what are, what's the tip, the tip point that's going to allow you to pull back and cut through and, and actually reach those music supervisors. Hey man, once again, couldn't have said it better. So <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, I've been waiting, like I've, I've wanted to use that analogy for a while and now we just finally had an opportunity. You'd say you have you. a little book there and yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, by the way, I hope you guys buy my new book, uh, The Sharp yeah. End of the Point, <laughs> Cutting Through the Noise in Today's Society. <laughs> Dude, so you're awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. This has been kick-ass, way better than last time. So, uh, so right now, if someone wanted to learn more and go a little bit more in depth in terms of those five steps, um, I know you have some, some deeper like training that, that sometimes you offer with like a workshop. Um, where could someone go to learn more from you? Sure. So basically, we have a uh, a workshop that we put out. It's totally free, and it's essentially a place that it's really what I think is the second best training in music licensing ever. And I say second best because our course, you know, uh, that's not open right now, is uh, is you know the best. 
But uh, this thing is a full uh, four video workshop, which walks through all the five steps in a lot more detail than I was able to, to do that here. And uh, just wanted to open that up for your community because what you guys are doing is amazing. I think it is like the best thing in the music industry online, uh, considering all the, the people that you've got, all the information that people are getting. Um, it's, it's incredible. So uh, just to you know, give a gift and uh, it's again, completely free, it doesn't cost a cent. If you, if you don't want to do it, you can still sign up on our mailing list and get free blogs and stuff. But I yeah, wanted to offer that to you, to, uh, you guys uh, to um, basically send people there if they really want to dive deeper into music licensing. Amazing. Dude, well, thank you. Thank you so much for doing that. And, uh, and yeah, man, again, thank you so much for taking the time to be here and appreciate you sharing, sharing your advice. And uh, yeah, do you have any closing, closing words? No, I don't, Mike. I just, uh, you know, again, want to remind people about the, the astronaut example, you know, and I've talked to so many people, right, who will say like, oh, music licensing so hard. It's impossible. It's a lottery. It's a game of chance, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like you go to Sync Songwriter on, on our website and go under testimonials. It's not just a bunch of people saying we love your course. There's actual real results. There's a bunch of videos of real students getting real sync results over and over and over again. So it works and you can do this. You can absolutely do this. Sync is not that difficult. Work smarter and not harder. Mm. Amazing. Dude. Well, yeah, thank you. And, and I feel like you're one of the epitomes of this overall business principle of giving value first and sharing your knowledge because that, that free workshop literally dives so deep into, into how to do this that someone could literally just, you know, go and get started with this. So I appreciate you being here and being so generous and kind of sharing the biggest insights that you've had and, and sharing that gift. And uh, yeah, dude, you're awesome. And looking forward to talking again soon. Thanks a lot, Mike. Really enjoyed this. So as always, thank you. Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guests today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, then that'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take their music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.